This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's time for Crack the Customer Code, the ultimate podcast to help you unlock the secrets to understanding and connecting with your customers. So, Jeannie, customer experience is everywhere. You know this, right? True. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have talked, I mean, we're into the 400, mid-400s now on episodes, and we have talked about so many industries, so many different variations and forms of customer experience and how they're applied. But you know what? Today, we have a new industry that we have not talked about before. It's true. It's so exciting. I mean, think about that. 460 plus episodes. I know. somehow Boom. we've never talked about this. And we're going to be talking with Allie Lichtenstein. I said that right? Yeah. Okay. Of Dow Jones. And, you know, we really haven't talked about customer experience as it applies to journalism. And, you know, Allie, and we'll, we'll get into this in the interview, but Allie has customers that are both B2C. Mm -hmm. and B2B. So there's that dynamic that we've talked about before, but it's through a different lens, which I thought was really interesting. I agree. I really enjoyed this conversation a lot because Allie brings a customer experience lens to an organization that has different types of brands serving different types of people. And how are we defining customer even? Who are the customers who are consuming the media, who are you know, subscribing to the newspaper who are signing up for their B2B products. It's a really interesting conversation. I think it makes us think bigger about how we have to innovate and constantly stay ahead, as well as navigate new areas. We didn't have some of these channels before. So I think it's all really fascinating. And I, I think our listeners are going to love it. They are going to love it. So let's hear about Allie. My pleasure. So Allie Lichtenstein has spent the past 14 plus years at Dow Jones, where she currently leads the global customer experience design team that designs the end-to-end -end customer experiences for Dow Jones's consumer and B2B products. So they have brands like the Wall Street Journal and Factiva. Prior to leading CXD, she focused on acquiring and retaining customers through digital channels, both at Dow Jones and at the advertising agencies Razorfish and Starcom in both digital media buying and account management functions. Ellie is a graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. Welcome, Allie. We're so thrilled to have you here on Crack the Customer Code. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here and really appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Well, before we jump into questions, you know, we talked about your introduction already, but what I would love to hear from you is can you give us kind of the, you know, the the layman's version of what is it that you do at Dow Jones with customer experience? 
Surely. So I lead uh, the team that looked after customer experience design for Dow Jones products uh, on the B2C and B2B side. So main B2C brand is the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so that's Wall Street Journal and all of its forms, whether it's print or digital or apps, um, and as well as Barron's Market Watch. Um, and then on the B2B side, uh, products such as Factiva and Risk and Compliance. So really trying to connect what we do from a customer experience standpoint, really across all the products. Excellent. Thank you for that. Sure. Uh, and so happy to have you on the show, Allie. So one question is, you know, being in the business, how do you, how do you, you use news? How do you decide who, I assume you trust your own products, but how do you decide who to listen? <laughs> how do you decide who to listen to? Um, and, you know, sort of how, how do you approach in, because there's so much information, right? We, we're all trying to yes. filter. So how do you approach, uh, one, what information you get and how you use it to make decisions? It is a great question because it's so true. It feels like every day there is something new to read and you could spend all day, every day, just, just reading information. Um, yes, obviously, I feel like I need to live my brand and I do. I spend a lot of time reading uh, Wall Street Journal. I Every day there's a uh, newsletter that comes out um, from Matt Mary, editor-in-chief, and just spend the morning always kind of skim through the stories. But, you know, besides the Wall Street Journal, I'm certainly curious to see what our competitors are doing and how certain stories are being reported. Uh, so obviously looking at what the New York Times is doing, the Washington Post, but just from a customer and employee experience standpoint, I mean, there are so many great resources, obviously, such as this one. Um, I try to <laughs> listen and read as much as I can from peers in the industry. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn um, and I'm a few different Slack groups as well, where people are either sharing articles that they've written or, hey, I read this and this was really surprising to me. Did anyone see that stat? Um, and always interested in peers and then as well as you know, my team and others across the company. I think we all are kind of news information junkies by nature working in the business. So try to just share with each other as much as possible. Don't usually get to everything during my workday. Sometimes I'll do some binging at night and try to catch up on things I may have missed. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really want to look at as much as I can from as many different sources as possible throughout the day. I love that you brought up how you really rely on um, kind of peers in the industry and looking to other people who are bringing up you know, different types of media, because I think sometimes we, we have this knee jerk reaction to think, you know, it's either all or nothing, like you have to be into the big journalism with a J, <laughs> with a big J, or, sure. you know, you're only reading the fringe blogs. <laughs> it's like, right. there's right. this whole world of information. And it's a matter of knowing more who you trust rather than what you trust, I think, in some ways, too. So that's a really, I, I like that you're looking at things from that perspective. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned was that you also look for customer experience and employee experience content. Yeah, I know that is something that, you know, everybody here on this podcast is super interested in, because we're all trying to figure this stuff out as we go. How are these things connected? How do we make sure that we are delivering for our employees as mm -hmm. so that they can deliver for their customers? So I'm curious, 
you know, specifically in kind of media, uh, how do you feel like, because in some ways, the employees are the product, right? Like they are Absolutely. who you're putting forward as well. So how is employee experience, you know, related to the customer experience in media from your perspective? Sure. I mean, I think it's it's really interesting. Um, and one of the things I do miss about working in an office, we've all been remote, like a lot of people over the past, I don't know how many months, 15 months, 500 years, not really sure at this point, but, you know, work, not being working in a call center and not getting the opportunity to necessarily see what our agents are going through every day has been something that I really miss a lot because I think one of the things you really clearly see when you're there is how what an, a, an agent goes through to have to answer a customer question or handle a difficult customer. And it really does show, wow, what would someone answer about our content? Let's say we publish, which happens frequently, we might publish an opinion piece and that's different than what people would be expecting to read from the Wall Street Journal. And the, I, uh, I, I could take days and go on for the difference between news and opinion content and what people <laughs> think those things are, or don't think those things are. So if, a, if an agent has to answer a question of why did the Wall Street Journal publish X, Y, and Z, or mm -hmm. uh, you know something moved in the paper and maybe our agents don't know about that, that 100% is something that bleeds out to the customer. So they're just completely related in that way um, where, and absolutely to the point of employees are the product, literally our news employees are the one gathering the information and writing pieces and that's what's appearing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's like most things, there's so many just moving pieces, right? So it's everything that happens. If there's a product change that's happening and again an agent doesn't know where to lead someone to find that if there's some sort of tech change that happens and there are going to be there's a period where products are potentially down and you know maybe it's a feed that mm -hmm. on the b2b side that's trying to be sold and a salesperson has to go into a meeting and is going to try to sell that thing okay you may want to know when that thing's going to be down so that's not when you're demoing a product right. <laughs> it just there's numerous instances like that where mm -hmm. obviously it's hard to keep everything running at 100 percent all the time but it's certainly to make people feel, to make the customers feel good about what we're doing and want to engage with us and to trust us, which is our new brand platform we're out in the market with recently. I mean, you need employees to then trust the company and know that everyone's trying to do the right thing for one another. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I love that you pointed out that whole thing about, you know, if something moves and the contact center agent doesn't know it, that creates an employee experience issue that it creates a customer experience issue. So how are you kind of keeping your finger on the pulse? And I know you've been there a while and I know mm -hmm. just your kind of vibe is very customer centric. So are you reaching out and trying to kind of educate other leaders like, hey, you need to keep us informed about this stuff. How are you handling that? Definitely. I think that at the core is really what my team and we're a small team, uh, six of us. And mm -hmm. therefore, you know, you're not going to be in every meeting and every conversation and every rollout of things. But that really is what we try to impress upon the teams that we meet with as much as possible is just posing those questions of, okay, so we understand that this change is being made 
we weren't necessarily sure what we would want to tell a customer if they're used to finding something in place A and it's now in place B. So is there a direction that we can give them ideally ahead of time so no one's ever caught off guard, but even in the moment to be able to say, hey, you used to find something in one place, now it's somewhere else. And just trying to make people realize that sometimes we need customer journey maps to show that to teams. Other times it's literally just, hey, let's walk through this and click through it together. Say, okay, so when you get here, do you see that it might be confusing as to where one goes next? So mm-hmm. just trying to continuously have those conversations. Um, sometimes we do point out what other products and brands are doing and they don't have to be journalism related. We see things all the time with other types of subscriptions or other types of companies where we've said, that's a really interesting approach to how a certain company has tried to either engage with a customer or point them in a direction or break bad news to someone mm-hmm. someone about something that maybe we could try to leverage that or you know try a similar approach so i think we're always seeing ourselves as definitely that uh you know cheerleader for the customer as much as possible it's and when we see things where we realize huh, this was a little bit confusing or we read voice of the customer feedback and see why did a customer feel like that? We then try to peel that back and share that around the company to say, these are the things we're noticing. We would recommend the potentially these possible changes in order to make it more clear to the customer. And I love, you know, I love hearing that so many of the challenges you're addressing and so many of the strategies you're employing are universal. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me about customer experience. I often have clients like, have you worked in this industry? It's like, it doesn't matter because <laughs> um, <laughs> so okay, there are all the same problems. But there is always that 10 or 15 percent that is unique to the industry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm really curious because you are in journalism. One of the things I always sure. look at is constraints. Right. What, mm-hmm. are, what are the constraints on delivering experience? If you're in pharmaceuticals, you've got all kinds of regulations. If you're in fintech, whatever. Uh, you've got uh, ethical constraints yeah. in your industry, the, you know, the, the wall between opinion and news. Um, yeah. how, have you seen and have you had to confront issues where you know, that constraint has affected the experience. You've had to work around those constraints or there's been some sort of impact either on the employee experience or Mm -hmm. the customer experience because of that. Absolutely. I think this is the messiest one and also my (laughs) kind of my favorite one to try to tackle because there really is no wrong or right. And I love talking to colleagues at, uh, you know, in similar type of work because no one has an easy answer to these things. But one time was when... uh, about a year and a half ago, we changed uh, the commenting ability on articles. So used to be anybody, whether you were a subscriber or not, could comment on an article on WSJ.com. And we changed the rules behind that in, because there were some comments being made that were not um, very <laughs> customer friendly and savvy. And yes, in the age of everyone put everything online, uh, we wanted it's still our brand at the end of the day. So it became, well, we're going to 
had, we've always had some content or sorry, comment moderation, but really thinking through, okay, you need to be a member so that we're kind of controlling who we know is posting. Um, we changed, not every single article was going to allow commenting. We changed how long you, the commenting window would be and, and made it very clear what the, what the policies were going to be around why your comment might get flagged and then therefore not posted on the site. So there was a lot written at the time. And yes, we had and a lot of people initially, well, that's, you know, restricting speech and whatnot or what the comments are. And I think that was a tough message to try to get across to customers. And we were, my team, we worked through in trying to make sure was that messaging going to be very clear to customers, that the changes were going to be made ahead of time, clear on what the processes were going to be. And then if you had feedback around it, really, who were you sharing it with, looking at the feedback that was coming in and trying to get a, a sense of, is it a problem for existing members? And or is it something that makes people potentially want to subscribe because you can only comment if you're a member? So that was certainly a, a murky one that was really interesting just to see the feedback. Um, and again, it become it's definitely an ethical piece around how much do you let anyone come in and comment on you totally takes a narrative away from what our journalists are potentially reporting on if you have a conversation go a completely different way in comments mm -hmm. then where is the separation so that one was certainly interesting um as i mentioned we've had a number of opinion pieces where we've had even just internally as an employee i've seen things published that i potentially don't agree with and but it's an opinion piece um we've spent a lot of time as a company like a lot of others focused on um diversity equity uh inclusion and thinking through okay well we're we as a company are focusing on this and maybe there's content that's published in a different you know has a different type of opinion well, is that okay? How do how does that reflect on us? So it, there's certainly no easy answer, but it's a fun and it's what makes it interesting to work in this industry. I think. <laughs> well, there's a there's a sort of a semi entitlement piece to you know journalism is so closely related to free speech, though commenting on the Wall Street Journal blog is not you know a, a protected form of free sure. speech. But right there, I, I I get the pushback. But so the question I would have for you, the quick follow up is. You know, were you sort of differentiating between customers and non-customers in this case? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. that's interesting because I think that's that's an area that we're all still navigating all of this. You know, we didn't mm -hmm. used to have these megaphones that everybody had. And so now we're figuring out how do we how do we approach all of these different angles of communication and discussion in a way that is respectful and mm -hmm. in a way that is kind of to your point, like if the journalist wrote an article about the moon and somebody comments about a pickup truck, yeah. <laughs> like, right? then is that really appropriate? And so I think we have to, it's, it's a very interesting time that is not going to get easier as we get more and more channels and more and more ways to communicate. But just to share a little bit and bring that down to kind of a micro level, that happened with my hometown newspaper. I mean, they basically mm. came out and said, we have to change how we do online comments because they were getting really out of control. And mm -hmm. that they started the Facebook, you know, you had to have a Facebook profile, they had to validate that you were a real person. Um, they had some rules and people, 
you know, had very strong opinions on both sides of that. Sure. But I think it's interesting to see that even at, you know, a brand like Dow Jones that has all of these different properties, you know, you're navigating those things, but so are all these like small town, hometown newspapers and local cable access channels and everything else. So it's sure (laughs) it's really um, it's a it's a really fascinating topic. And I think, you know, when we we think about that micro level versus that macro level, you're dealing with some of the biggest brands in the world, frankly, and you're you're dealing with teams that maybe didn't start off thinking that that even a brand like the Wall Street Journal had customers, right? Like they had readers and subscribers, but they didn't necessarily think of them as customers. And so how do you really work with these leaders of organizations that maybe traditionally don't think of themselves as customer experience Mm -hmm. focused brands? How do you work with them to get them to understand what does it mean to be customer centric? And what does it mean to provide customer advocacy? Well, and and that is a great question, because and I have this uh, philosophical conversation internally all the time, because even what does a customer mean could mean so many things, especially Mm -hmm. on the B2B side, where the customer could be the person that's purchasing from Dow Jones, uh, mm-hmm. or it could be the the customer is the person that's the end user, or the customer is the person that's the tech lead who's actually implementing it. Those are all level of customers, and depending on who you're talking to, they you know internal stakeholders have very different interests. So mm-hmm. I f- always feel like the biggest piece is literally just asking question: Who do you consider to be your customer in this case? Um, similar and trying to step that back, and if sometimes people say, I'm not entirely sure what you mean. What do you mean? Who is my customer? I said, well, <laughs> who are you trying, who are you trying to speak to? Who is making a decision on this? Um, again, and to your point, it may not be the most obvious answer at times. And a lot of times it does also come down to, okay, well, it's complicated. Okay. Well, tell me why it's complicated. And then it just is a lot of question asking and a lot of uncovering. And then coming out with different cohorts of people that we're talking about so that we can break those things apart and say, okay, so it sounds like the most critical need is to focus on this type of individual. Um, you know, I think one thing is it, it, as a business and why it's so interesting to be on a team that works across all different products is just the range of customers too, even if it's the same product. So yeah, mm-hmm. something like WSJ.com, you could be somebody who is a seasoned professional, you could be a student. And at the end of the day, we're more or less selling you the same thing, but how do we, how are we tailoring that to you? And there's therefore different, different internal teams focus on different sets of customers. So mm-hmm. it's almost like we have to put on different hats when we as a team are talking to different teams to try to make sure we're helping them in the way they need to be helped. The age old question of B2B customer experience. <laughs> Who is the yes. customer? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, yes. But it's 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 really fascinating this conversation <laughs> because I think everybody thinks about their own kind of industry um, as product service, things like that, and to mm-hmm. apply your lens to media really and what that means and all these different levels. It's really it's an interesting conversation so thank yeah. you for sharing all and that with us and that idea thank that you. and you've got a sort of the uh, amorphous not non-paying customer of society at large in journalism yeah. yes <laughs> you know i mean it's i it's always 
Yeah. I would say, well, I'm not curing cancer, but if I'm helping people to access truthful information, I can feel good about waking up in the morning. That's, exactly. a, that's, a, that's a great good. way to look at it. <laughs> that yeah. is a great philosophy. Well, thank you so much, Allie. It's been awesome. And we really appreciate your insights and just taking the time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And we have we have one final question. Are you ready? I am ready. When you think about the future of customer experience, what is the one thing you are most excited about? Ooh, just one thing? One thing. Um, <laughs> let's see. I guess to me, it's always about channels. So I, I always think, okay, well, I didn't know what Twitter was 15 years ago. Uh, what, <laughs> what's going to be the next communication? Mm. Um, you know, whether what's coming after TikTok that, uh, that everyone is going to be on that therefore wherever the eyeballs and humans are, we need to make sure our content is there. Um, I love that. so that's what I would say. I'm most excited. I, I wish I had a crystal ball and I wish I could invent it, but um... don't we all don't we all? Well, I can't wait to see you in hologram form and, sure. <laughs> and, you know, we are, we are so thrilled that you were able to join us today. If listeners want to learn more about you and reach out, how can they find you? Sure. Please find me on LinkedIn. I'm always looking to connect with new people and hear about other challenges people have overcome and learn from one another. Excellent. Thank you so much, Allie. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Allie. Take so I think it's safe to say that we could have kept talking to Allie for a very long time. <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh, that, yeah, that was a great conversation. Yeah. And I think what I love about it is that, you know, she was really honest about some of the challenges that they've had and some of the ways they've had to navigate some of these new world things that we're, we're dealing with. And I think I'm hearing from leaders all over that that definition of who is our customer, that's not just something that we're struggling with in the media. That's something that we're struggling with in B2B. That's something that we're struggling with when we kind of have a public persona out there as a brand that maybe doesn't always serve customers, serves something, a bigger community. I think these are big questions that customer experience leaders really have to grapple with in order to make sure they're delivering the experience to the very people that they're focused on. Yeah, and I think it's important to differentiate between customers and stakeholders, even though they're, mm -hmm. you know, stakeholders is broad, everyone's a stakeholder, but stakeholders who are not customers, you know, in journalism, that's the general public. Right. Um, but it, it may be, uh, it can be your community if you're a restaurant, right? It can be a whole, a whole set of larger groups, but they're not the people that are paying your bills. They are, yeah. not, they are not customers and they are not the people that you owe. Yeah, I look at customer service as a debt. <laughs> All right. <laughs> a for, it's a form of obligation, right? It's an exchange of value. You know, we are providing you a product and a service in exchange for, you know, usually money. <laughs> Maybe we're bartering, who knows? But right, there, there, there's an exchange there and there's an understanding um, of what you're going to provide. And of course, for us, there's an understanding that, well, it's not just a product or service, there's the experience that goes with it and how important that is. But that's different than, uh, you know, people who are not your actual customers, right? It doesn't mean you, you may not owe them something, some form of, you know, I don't know, respect or attention, but it's not the same. And you, you sh companies, organizations should be able to differentiate between them. Well, and I think that, 
you know, there's a lot lately about being kind of a good corporate citizen. And what does that mean? And so that's another angle to all of this as well. And uh, I just loved the conversation with Allie, because I think that there are so many leaders like her, who are serving different brands, different groups of customers, navigating what does that mean to them personally, navigating how can we customize these experiences and make sure that we're showing up for them the way that they expect us to show up within this brand. So thank you again to Allie for being here. And you know what? Thank you for being here. Thank you for being our audience, our community, our customers. Our customers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So thank you for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We are a proud member of C-Suite Radio, so be sure to check out all the great content at csuiteradio.com and csuitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters. Come visit me at experienceinvestigators.com. And I'm Adam DePorg, and you can find me at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.